0: everyone. Welcome to the Bengals postgame report, courtesy of cincyjungle.com, its podcast network, and the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Joining you always, I am Anthony Cazenza. I hope that uh, you are enjoying your weekend, though it is almost over. Um, I hope that uh, somehow you're having a good time this weekend and enjoying yourself uh, as the holiday season is, is coming rapidly approaching. I'm, I'm joining you a little bit later than I usually do on this post-game report, but um, unfortunately, uh, you know, some things kind of came up and I wanted to make sure I was kind of prepped on some things. So going to try uh, something new out for those of you who usually join the live video feeds of these post-game reports. So uh, we'll try a little, little fun thing out, sharing some screen and, uh, you know, so you can kind of check out, for those of you who'd like the video, you can kind of check out Some of the stuff I'm going to walk through for you. But the big news week 14, Bengals uh, lose to the Browns another one possession loss. They lose 27 to 19, their seventh one possession loss of 2019. Take that for what you will. Um, Cincinnati falls to 1 and 12 on the year. Not exactly the way that you want. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I say this every week. Not exactly the way that the Bengals drew up the, the beginning of the Zach Taylor era. There were a lot of errors, a lot of issues uh, throughout the game today. There was also kind of a lot to like. A lot of the issues that plagued the team early in the year did not really do so on Sunday. Cincinnati ran the ball well. Joe Mixon, 146 yards, six almost six and a half yards per carry, a touchdown on the ground. Uh, Andy Dalton did have some nice moments in the game. Nice throws, fit some tight windows. Um, Also missed on some throws, an egregious pick six uh, against a Browns defense that kind of needed a spark at that point. The Bengals kind of felt like they had the momentum. Dalton gives them the pick six and uh, not a good throw to Auden Tate. Behind him and uh, high, you know, he tried to reach for it. Got tipped up. Denzel Ward takes it all the way in the end zone for the touchdown. Now the Bengals couldn't also stop the run. Nick Chubb had over hundred yards for the Cleveland Browns. They could not stop the run, but they did get two interceptions, almost three at the end of the game there with Jesse Bates getting another one. They review the play and somehow, which is just such a microcosm of the Bengals year. They go back and they rule a pass interference penalty. That's the first time I have seen that on a non-challenged play. (laughs) And so the interception gets overturned. That probably would have made things a lot different for the Cincinnati Bengals. Unfortunately, um, it was not meant to be the Bengals lose 17 to 20, uh, 28, uh, excuse me, 19 to 27. And um, look, there were some, some really questionable play calls at the goal line when the Bengals were, were in the red zone. There were some questionable plays by Andy Dalton in terms of, you know, kind of letting the ball go early, earlier than you want. Uh, There was a play, I I believe it was the Bengals' first possession, there was a play where Andy Dalton got an intentional grounding penalty, which is very rare in the red zone. He threw the ball away while kind of in the pocket to avoid pressure. Everybody kind of went to the outer parts in terms of the receivers. They went to the outside uh, parts of the field he threw it down the middle no one was there they got uh you know a, a intentional grounding penalty luckily the Bengals were still able to convert a field goal but that is not a good play third and inches you line up in the shotgun and you know questionable play calling later in the game there and then you have you know you get a sack on another play in the red zone just Red zone issues, as evidenced by Randy Bullock hitting four field goals. I believe three of those were in the red zone area. So, you know, the Bengals were not good in the red zone. They were not good on third down. But they dominated a number of different facets of the game. I'm going to show you this here in just a second. Um, This is courtesy of Bengals.com. Uh, their box score here. So if you look at the team statistics, hopefully you can see this as I'm sharing my screen with you now. I mean, total net yards, 451 by the Bengals to 333 by the Browns. Um, You look at time of possession, the Bengals had, you know, nine minutes more of of possession. Um, They had, they won the turnover battle, uh, two turnovers to one. But where they lost it is the penalties and look at the yardage, eight penalties for 99 penalty yards, as opposed to six penalties for just 30 yards by the Browns. That's an entire field's worth of penalty yardage that the Bengals gave up today. They were obviously of the holding penalty, the face mask variety, Pass interference, that sort of thing, and uh, you know that that cost them quite a bit. One of the pass interference penalties was on William Jackson. You could kind of make a case either way on that. It wasn't initially called on the field. Uh, caused the second Bates interception that they overturned once they looked at it. So you look at you know the the overall team statistics here. Not terrible, but it's where the Bengals were failing in the red zone. They settled for field goals instead of touchdowns. And then, obviously, the penalty yards, the big penalties, and, and key plays on third down and in the red zone really plagued the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, as you look at Dalton's stat line, very similar to basically every other game this season. Um, high volume of yardage, high, relatively high volume of attempts, no touchdowns, one interception you did have the one um you know the one nice pass by Alex Erickson there a couple of nice pass plays by Andy Dalton but you know the pick six obviously was kind of the difference in the game here if you want to really point at one play i mentioned the red zone issues some of the decision making that he had in crunch time situations was questionable but more there you look at the two top running backs for each team Nick Chubb 15 carries 106 yards as I mentioned most of that was on one run 57 yard run otherwise the Bengals contained him and Kareem Hunt relatively well throughout the day Um, you know Cleveland didn't really have an answer for Joe Mixon he just kind of kept chewing up yard chunk yardage all day you can see only the 26 yard uh, scamper there so of those 146 yards it was Chunk yardage, chunk yardage, chunk yardage most of the day. So you had to like what you saw from him. A lot of it was due to big effort, you know, by by Joe Mixon getting extra yards, knocking guys over, straight arming guys. But there were some holes that were opened up. I think Michael Jordan had a couple of nice blocks on some run plays. Um, the middle of the fee, the middle of the line kind of opened some holes for him, and then they created stretch plays and other plays for Joe Mixon to make other. Um, other plays there, so a great day at the office by Joe Mixon, and really, even when the Bengals were down, you don't you don't really expect a team to rely on the running back and feed the ball to the running back. But it was it was close in terms of the score at the time; they were only down by one score, and they kept giving the ball to Mixon, and rightfully so because he was getting a lot of yardage. Yet when you're down at the Cleveland two-yard line, they kind of abandoned the run on, on one of those drives there, one of those red zone drives. And, uh, you know, you kind of just say fall forward and let either give it to him, don't line up in the shotgun, let Andy Dalton fall forward, do something there. Um, you know, so kind of questionable there. You see the receiving difference here. Um, you know, top guys, Boyd five for 75, Landry four for 76, um, you know, uh, mixing another 40 yards through the air, so a good day for him. Uh, Kareem Hunt, 40 yards through the air to go with his 28 yards on the ground. So, um, you know, not, not an overly uh, overly awful day statistically for the Cincinnati Bengals. It was just the, the, the timing of plays or the lack of execution of plays during critical times that really made the difference. It made the difference this week. Um, I'm seeing uh, of course, a lot on the live chats within the Facebook account and or the YouTube is, of course the draft positioning. the Bengals um, the Bengals lost today. so of course now they have the inside track yet again on the first round pick. And with most uh, most of the football watching nation watching the SEC championship on Saturday, evening, afternoon, they got to see Joe Burrow beat and handily beat a Georgia team. So, you know, played well, probably played himself into the Heisman race. You look today, the Miami Dolphins earlier today lost to the New York Jets 21 to 22 the Jets are now five and eight, so they're kind of out of the picture. Even even if we're talking quarterbacks and all that, they're probably not in the picture. If they were up there in terms of draft positioning, the Miami Dolphins are now three and ten. Cincinnati and Miami face each other here coming up, and uh, you know, so that's going to dictate a lot there. But the Bengals still maintain that as of now, two game lead up top over the the Dolphins and then the Giants who have two wins, they play Monday night. So even if the, if the Giants lose there, the Bengals kind of hold ground on that number one pick. So for those of you who want Joe Burrow, those of you who want Chase Young, whatever your case, if you're looking to the draft, I mean, then, you know, I I suppose you're happy to be honest with you, with you guys. Yeah. I'd like a new, I'd like the team to, to go in a different direction at quarterback. I think it's time. Um, yeah, this team needs a spark, this team needs, uh, it, it's a little stale, and they, they need some difference makers, and I think they need to do that during the draft, but that doesn't mean I have to like, or we have to like watching losing week in, week out. This has been a pretty miserable year for the Cincinnati Bengals, pretty miserable in terms of watching them lose, the way they lose, Some of the, sometimes the the, the close way that they lose I mentioned seven one possession games by the Cincinnati Bengals this year as they um, you know as they fall to, to one and 12 this year. So the other aspect with this in the draft, you know Cincinnati could if they were a a specific if they were run a specific way, the Cincinnati Bengals could, win some games at the end here. Maybe they lose draft positioning on the front end, but they could still win games, be competitive, feel good about themselves with some momentum in 2020 and move up to get a guy they really want. If they were so inclined to do that, that is not outside of the realm of possibility. It's not like they're sitting it in the twenties in terms of draft position and they want to get all the way to one. Um, They're going to be top five regardless. And if someone is there, that is willing to deal the pick if, they, if somehow they get leapfrogged, they can give up an arsenal of picks. They just have to be willing to do so. So it, it's it's okay to want the team to win and it, kind of have your cake and eat it too and have them potentially move up and get a Joe Burrow, a Chase Young, whoever whoever that may be. But um, it, it's obvious that this team, I mean, yet again, I mentioned they, they lost 19-27 to today. The Bengals – can't, I mean, they're not scoring. They haven't scored over 23 points all year. They haven't scored over 23 points all year. They're not putting points on the board. You can attribute that to AJ Green's absence. You can attribute that to the quarterback play. You can attribute that to all kinds of different things. Um, but they're not putting points up on the board under a head coach who was supposed to come in here and bring, you know, an offensive mind, an innovative approach, all of that. Now, I think. What the hope may be is obviously, you know, Bengals fans, the team, the ownership, the coaches, the players, everybody's going to have to have patience, and and potentially you're going to need to 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 see something that resembles San Francisco. I mean, this has been a three or four rebuilding, uh, three or four year rebuilding effort for San Francisco. They went out and traded for their quarterback. They had a handful of years of top picks where they had defensive linemen, defensive linemen, defensive linemen. They got a good linebacker in uh, the third round and Fred Warner. Somehow they just keep getting these linebackers in San Francisco. They hired the young coach in Shanahan, um, and now he, you know, he's showing to be the guy in San Francisco after a couple of years where they weren't winning many games. So hopefully that is the blueprint for the Cincinnati Bengals and Zach Taylor The Bengals will have to do what the Niners have done, though. The Bengals will have to do what the Niners have done, and they will have to make moves. They will have to be active in free agency, and they will have to maneuver in the draft to get impact players. You saw today some former... Billy Price, 2018 first-round pick on the bench. Yeah, he's dealing with a back injury, but I think... I think there's some writing on the wall there. John Ross, two catches. He had a drop. He had a holding penalty. And at the end of the game, he didn't get out of bounds when the Bengals were, yeah, it was a little bit of garbage time. But they were trying to hustle, get points on the board, get the ball back. Gets tackled in bounds. He's a veteran guy. He needs to know better. I know he's been out of the lineup for, what, six weeks now or so. So there's a little rust there. But you got to know the situation. It's the same frustrating things. That's your 2017 and your 2018 first round picks, one of which was a top 10 pick. The Bengals have to start nailing these these picks, especially when they get high positioning. They just have to. They can't keep losing out on this. I'm Anthony Cazenza with CincyJungle.com. You're listening to the Bengals Post Game Report, courtesy of Cincy Jungle's Podcast Network and the Orange and Black Insider Bengals Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, whether it's via Facebook, the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, or the Orange and Black Insider YouTube page. Or if you're listening to us after the fact on one of our many audio channels, which are iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, um, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, all that stuff. So get get the show how you can. Subscribe. We appreciate it. Um, I, You know, Dead Disney here says, hate the loss, but love being a step closer to Burrow. Um, I, this is interesting by, by Ken Fetcher here, attribute, attributed to the coach who looks absolutely clueless and dumbfounded today. What there was a series of, uh, there were a series of uh, decisions that Taylor made, whether it was from a game planning perspective, whether it was from a, um, you know, uh, game management perspective, there were a series of, of decisions that I found highly, questionable. Um, I, I think that even towards the end, when he tried to kind of grasp at straws to get a potential offensive pass interference penalty, um, on the big play to Jarvis Landry to kind of s- essentially steal the game that wasted a timeout. Um, You know, that that's not a good play there. I mentioned the many questionable decisions. He is the offensive play caller. The questionable decisions in the red zone where you're basically scoring field goals instead of touchdowns. You need to punch it in the end zone, lining up and shotgun on third and inches, lining up and shotgun on fourth and inches. I mean, there's just, you, you, can't, you can't do that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I want to say that this is just because this is really a, a high profile role he is taking on a lot in his first year. He's a young guy, and he you got to learn on the job. Sometimes you got to learn on the job, and that's how it is. Unfortunately, NFL there's a big spotlight. You're under the microscope, and leashes aren't very long. So, you know, th- th- that's understandable why people are you know talking about this. But I mean, there were just a series of decisions that really pointed to the inexperience of Zach Taylor today. And, um, I, it, it hurt the team. It, it hurt the team. And, um, you know, there's no, there's no two ways about it. No two ways about it. Um, I, I see a, another, uh, question here, Robert Jackson, why no talk of firing Tobin? Well, uh, I I don't know really what to say about that. I mean, I think, I think there is justification behind that notion of potentially firing Duke Tobin. He has the trust of the organization and he basically has the highest level job on staff without a Brown family or Blackburn family name associated to it. Um, You know, he's, he's a guy that they trust. He's a guy that they feel helped create what they built between 2011 and 2015. And, you know, I, 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 they seem to trust him. They seem to trust him. This is a team. We know this is a, a management and an ownership that loves that is loyal that loves continuity, even despite continuity with mediocrity, they will take, Um, you know, I, I mentioned some of the draft picks of late, right? Jonah Williams isn't playing at all this year. Can't really help that and call him a bust when he's got shoulder surgery. So, you know, we kind of give that one a pass, at least for now, Billy Price can't stay healthy. And when he, when he is, he's not very effective on the field and John Ross same kind of thing, real up and down, probably looking like a little bit better pick than Billy Price, but he can't stay healthy. And when he's on the field, there's still the maddening mistakes that come with John Ross. So those are your recent picks. You can go back to 2015 and Abwehi and Fisher, all of the misses at linebacker in the middle rounds. Um, you know, the, the list goes on and on and you got to point at Tobin, but you also have to point at the limited scouting staff smallest scouting staff in the league. You got to point at the fact that the coaches are integral in the scouting process, which most coaching staffs are, but you know, they're traveling a lot. They're right there with the scouts. Whereas other teams kind of send representatives to other games and all that kind of stuff throughout the, throughout the college year and the Bengals, you know, they do some of that, but with a limited staff, they don't do as much. So we can we can point at one guy like a Duke Tobin, but I, I think it's, again, a symptom of a bigger problem. And it starts at the top. And if you are going to commit to one type of strategy, you have to make sure that, that the proper resources are all allocated. And um, that doesn't seem to be the case when it comes to the Bengals, whether it's in free agency or the draft. they They just don't allocate the proper resources. And basically, they kind of have to hope that they – that the guy they have to have a high high percentage hit rate on draft picks, much more so than many other teams in the league. And unfortunately, it's just not. That hasn't been the case lately. Just hasn't been the case. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of questions on Tyler Eifert, uh, both Dave and Malcolm in the live YouTube chat asking about Tyler Eifert. Uh, tight ends aren't really necessarily a focal point of. The, the Rams offense and and what Zach Taylor, his offense that he's bringing to Cincinnati. Tyler Eifert had a decent day today. Some of it, a couple of his catches were kind of at the end there when the Bengals were kind of playing catch up, but had a couple of nice catches throughout the day. But overall, to me, these are the guys. Use use your weapons. Use your Joe Mixons. Use your wide receivers. Those are the guys between the twenties, right? From 20-yard line to 20-yard line, those are the guys that you churn up yardage and you, they get you there. They get you in the in the red zone. When you are in the red zone, when you pay money and sign a three-year lucrative contract to C.J. Uzama, when you re-sign Tyler Eifert for, to, to another prove-it deal, when you draft Drew Sample in the second round, you use those guys in the red zone. Those guys do haven't been non-existent in the red zone this year. And when they – I mean – Uzama had his number called last week. In the, actually, both guys had their number called last week in the red zone, and you had two drops. So I guess I'm putting my foot in my mouth a little bit there, but, I mean, the point remains, those are guys that should be the immediate focal points in the red zone offense, and either they are substituted out of the offensive formation or they are not looked at by Andy Dalton and company when when the play is called. So, I, I don't know. Uh, th- uh, to me, you pay those guys money, assign them to new t- contracts this this offseason for a reason, and they're being egregiously underused in the area in which you would think would be their biggest strength, which is the red zone. And, not coincidentally, the Bengals have been pretty awful in the red zone throughout the, the, the year. Um, so... Uh, they're taking field goals instead of instead of touchdowns they're not scoring touchdowns or uh, you know as you I I believe now they have six total points in 13 games played on open there 13 opening drives this year I think they have six total points is what what I remember hearing today so that is you can't gain momentum you can't Play with a lead. You can't do anything like that if that's if that's what's happening on your opening drives. And if you're coming out, I mean, that hurts your your defense, your defensive morale, all of that. Yeah, you, ha- you have to, yeah. Dave, thank you for the stat update here. 12 games, 250 yards, and two touchdowns. That that's not getting it done. And that's not, to me, that's not really Eifert's fault. That's not Eifert's fault. That that is not calling his number in the area in which you paid him for and not using him correctly. Uh, if he's if you're worried about you know saving him and making sure he doesn't get injured again, fine, but maybe use him in areas the third downs in the red zone where you think he can move the chains and score points. Just a thought. I see here it, uh. This was a great, great – and at, this, this actually was a thought I've been having recently, and I'll, I'll maybe end on this one here. It's from Brad Howell. How about the culture? Steelers can bring a guy off the street and still win because there's a winning culture there. That is spot on. Spot on. The Steelers are down to basically their third-string quarterback. Mason Rudolph was a guy who embarrassed the Bengals on Monday night football a few weeks back. If you remember, I guess a couple of months ago. Now he has been benched the kid who's playing for him. Now he's doing okay. But all of a sudden the Steelers, they lose Antonio Brown. They lose Le'Veon bell. They lose Ben Roethlisberger for this season. By the way, They're currently beating the Arizona Cardinals, another team the Bengals lost to. They're currently up and it's in Arizona 20 to 10 as we sit here on Sunday evening and they're on the precipice of being eight and five. So they are right in the thick of the playoff hunt with a third string quarterback and just kind of a bunch of blah players on offense. By the way, Juju Smith Schuster has been missing uh, at points this season as well. So I, that is a great point. And that is what this, you know, years ago, the Bengals said when they kept, when they kept bringing Marvin Lewis back, Mike Brown kind of said, you know, he had told some media members, look, we see what they do in Pittsburgh. We like their continuity, especially at the head coaching position. I mean, I think it's basically been Mike, Mike Tomlin and Bill Cower for the last, what, 35 years, literally. Um, so something like that. But, so, the, and both those guys have a Super Bowl ring each, and they they note that the continuity there is one of the strong points. Well, it's not just the continuity; it's the fact that the franchise sets their head coaches up to be successful. They maneuver in the draft. They make they're not free agency world beaters in terms of outside acquisitions, but they get guys. They get guys that come in and help. Uh, this just this year what what a difference minka fitzpatrick has made to the steelers in a trade before the deadline everybody laughed at pittsburgh why would you give that capital up you're not even in the you're not even in the playoff race you want to know why because they wanted to get into the playoff race because they are used to being in the playoff race they don't accept not being in the playoff race so they will sacrifice capital to make a necessary move to potentially help catapult them in there. And here we are. They're going to be eight, eight, and five here with three games left to play, likely getting or or trying to get one of those wild card spots. Would it surprise you if they got in? Would it surprise you if they got in and they actually beat a team that, you know, has looked pretty good if they beat them in the playoffs. No, because the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, if you want to hate them, go ahead. But you have to respect how they build their football team. You have to respect what they do. And you have to respect the fact that they are very, very successful. Very successful. I mean, I said this on one of our podcasts here. Probably a while ago. I can't remember exactly when now. You have to go back. The Steelers haven't had a non-winning season since 2013. As of this point and that's 8 and 8 8 and 8 they haven't had a losing season a losing record in a season since 2003 and they were 6 and 10 before that 98 so they just win they they just win games sometimes it's ugly sometimes they put it together with a third string quarterback they just win because they know how to run a football team and We can complain about their dirty play. We can complain about, and and there's justification for that. We can complain that they get calls their way and that's justified, but sometimes you got to create your own luck. And the way you do that is be prepared, be a well-run, well-built organization. So you're prepared for all kinds of issues and show stability and those are not really strong points of the Cincinnati Bengals, which is unfortunate because they face the Pittsburgh Steelers twice a year. Sometimes, as we know, three times a year, and it doesn't always end well. It rarely, it rarely ends well for the Cincinnati Bengals. So, if you're going to talk about modeling yourself after the Pittsburgh Steelers, great, you should. I, I've long maintained that that should be that you should. The the division largely runs through the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, it's probably going to start running through the Baltimore Ravens now again with Lamar Jackson. But the division has largely run through the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I would maintain that, you know, you want to build your team in a way that's going to be a matchup problem or in a very similar mold to the Pittsburgh Steelers if you want to beat them and get the division crowns. That's that's how the Bengals should do it, and how they offensive line, power football, and drafting players who have the clutch gene. You know, Ben Roethlisberger has the clutch gene. He comes up big in big situations, um, and obviously, he's a very talented passer. They they put up a lot of numbers passing the ball. I, I, I said they're a power run team, but they've they've largely been a a. Run team. They know how to run the football. They know how to play on the offensive line, and they're very successful. Very successful. So great point there. Um, I don't want to turn this into a Steelers show, but I think that the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, they they wanted to kind of get cute and be on the cutting edge of the league with their offensive-minded coach and all of that, and that's fine. But you know. Who whoever they bring in at coach, whoever they bring in at quarterback, the organization needs to make sure that they set up these people to be successful. Otherwise, they're just going to be chasing their tail a handful of years down the road again. Um, you know, you, you can say Joe Burrow is a franchise quarterback. He, he sure looks the part. Um, but even though he is the most important position, he is one guy. And the the Bengals need to make sure that they invest properly to make sure he's successful. And that's not just offensive linemen and and that sort of thing. It's with the operational side of things um, to to make sure that they build a stable team going forward. Because right now, it's not a very stable team. And I'm going to tell you what, if they keep Zach Taylor this this offseason, what they do this offseason is going to tell us as fans a lot. And what I mean by that is last week, when they hosted the jets, they set a record for the lowest attendance. I believe very definitely a Paul Brown stadium. I think it was the lowest since 95 Um, set a new attendance record low. Okay. If they keep Zach Taylor, they don't do much in free agency and they kind of stay put and they kind of hang their hat on, Hey, those real, those seven close games that we lost last year, rookie head coach, a lot of injuries. We've got a top pick and maybe a new quarterback. They need to do something to energize things. And that's, that's making impactful moves. That's making the right hires internally and, and doing things the right way. They need to, you know, they want to join the, you know, or be on the cutting edge of the NFL with the coaching side of things, but they're not even up to NFL standards with scouting and all of that. They need to, they need to join the fray on that. So Um, that's, that's that, uh, Bob Pinto. I'm a veteran. Hey, thanks for your service, Bob. Appreciate you tuning in. We're going to get out of here, folks. Uh, it's been about 35 minutes or so. This is the Bengals post game report. I'm Anthony Cazenzo with CincyJungle.com. This show is courtesy of the Cincy jungle podcast network and the orange and black insider Bengals podcast show. You can get this. Show and others like it on the Pod Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. Subscribe to the channel on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. It's on Megaphone. It's also on iHeart Radio, and you can get all the stuff on YouTube. And all the stuff is on CincyJungle.com. Thanks for tuning in, folks. I know it's a little later than usual. That uh, for the live folks, uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for interacting. We will be having uh, the Orange and Black Insider will be having its weekly show. So. Definitely tune in for that. We will be talking quarterbacks with folks uh, connected to Alabama, LSU, and Oregon over the next two weeks. So you won't want to miss that because we'll be breaking down a lot of stuff for you for uh, those of you very interested in Joe Burrow to uh, Tagovailoa or Justin Herbert. Um, We'll be talking about that on the podcast. But Bengals, to recap, lose 27-19. They are 1-12. Joe Mixon has a 100-yard day. Bengals give up 100 yards to Nick Chubb. Uh, they intercept Baker Mayfield twice, keep him out of the end zone. He did score with his legs, but through the air, kept him out of the end zone. Unfortunately, the Bengals came up just short, just not doing the right things at the critical moments of the game. And um, unfortunately, it shows in the 1-12 and record. Hang in there, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in.